to America now. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us, or you're with the terrorists. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Welcome to Buck Sexton with America Now. Thank you so much for being here. Taxes and Russia dominating most of the uh, headlines today, the news stories. And uh, first, let, uh, let's let's talk a bit about the, the taxes side of it, especially because we are going into the height of tax season. How could a story about taxes be so exciting to the media? Oh, that's right, because this is where they think that Donald Trump is going to finally be tripped up. This is where they've got him. Because if you were part of an international Putin-backed conspiracy to throw a U.S. election and become a pawn of the Kremlin— wouldn't you have a line item in your taxes that said Putin payoff? So it's not as simple. It's not as simple as that, is it? It's not going to be. But uh, last night, we don't need uh, Last night, Rachel Maddow, this happened while I was on air, was tweeting out, she's an MSNBC host, that she had the tax, she had Donald Trump's taxes. And you can imagine, of course, because, because, Oh, wait, no, is that... Oh. Look at that. Just in time for our talk about Russia. It's the Soviet national anthem, everybody. Not to be confused with uh, anything else. All right, all right. <laughs> Thank you for that. A little, bit, a little bit of background tunes there. So, yes, the Soviet national anthem. Because we should all be terrified. Like, we, uh, like we're back in the Cold War and there could be a nuclear exchange any day. Because, because you had... Podesta's emails accessed by a phishing scam and the DNC emails hacked. Uh, we're supposed to now think that Russia is absolutely terrifying. But Russia and taxes go hand in hand. We have to understand that. You see, the tax returns are supposed to show uh, big investments in Russia, so, some connections to Russia, which what an, incre what an incredible foresight Donald Trump must have that his taxes stretching back for a decade would show all of this Russia business. It just doesn't. I keep hearing the theories. I'm like, you know, that theory doesn't make any sense, right? There's there's no way that theory. You say what you will about maybe there's some unsavory characters that Trump aides like Manafort and, and uh, Roger Stone and others were in contact with that with Russians. Maybe that happened. But the payoffs and the scheme and the conspiracy, I don't see that. I don't see it for Trump, at least. How, how would that happen? Why take that risk? But the taxes are supposed to be, you know, follow the money, right? The taxes are supposed to be key. And Rachel Maddow was, oh, I knew she was overselling it. I said last night on the show, maybe I'll play it from the end of last night's show, right before her show's at 9 Eastern, so I finish up right before her. I said, look, this is a this is a nothing burger with cheese, I think was how I described it. And it wasn't even, there was no cheese on that nothing burger. It was like an overcooked nothing burger that you could use as a hockey puck. I mean, it was a bad oversell of the worst kind from msnbc and now of course she's saying well 
this is we're all waiting. We're all sitting around here thinking to ourselves, oh, wow, maybe Trump's tax returns are going to get released now, which, of course, is it is illegal. And then they play this game of, oh, well, maybe Trump leaked it himself or someone close to him. So then it's not illegal. Whatever. Trump tax is supposed to be the smoking gun. At least I've heard this from people. This is supposed to be the smoking gun that proves Russia in and Trump are colluding in some capacity, and that's why he can't show us the tax returns. And yet, when Rachel Maddow finally gets to tell us what it is, this is what she says. Play clip 41. What I have here uh, is a copy of Donald Trump's tax returns. We have his federal tax return for one year, for 2005. I believe this is the only set of the president's federal taxes that reporters have ever gotten a hold of. Uh, What we have are these two pages, front and back. Two pages, front and back? Oh, my gosh. That's just crazy. Uh, it It was pretty amazing to have all these people. Look. For Maddow, it's an opportunity to get a whole lot of people to tune into her show that would usually never waste their time. So it worked as a form of advertising for her show. We've got she didn't lie. They had some of Trump's tax return. Of course, Trump released it before she even went on air. So that scooped them there. Uh, But she goes on air to say that Trump uh, what we find out rather about Trump is that he paid a lot of money in taxes. Not only was it a nothing burger in the sense that it didn't hurt the president of the United States, didn't make him look bad, actually made him look good. I even saw Van Jones over at CNN last night who was saying that this uh, this was good for him. In fact, my old friend Don Lemon from CNN, uh, he said that this, well, he asked the question, how is this not good for Trump? Play clip 44. So let's talk about this. Um, you saw what he made, $150 million, $38 million in taxes. Didn't pay $38 million. That's but, not okay, true. Okay, go on. How is this? $36.5 million. Okay, $36.5 million. How <laughs> Still is a lot of money. Donald Trump? Yeah, how is it not good for Donald Trump? I should also point out, as we're sitting here, and we are always being lectured by the media about how Trump is such a liar. Trump is so bad. He always lies and lies. They tell us that. How many of them are going to go and point out that Hillary Clinton, from her official Twitter account, just like Donald Trump's Twitter account, in the height of the election, wrote the following. Trump has contributed zero dollars for our military, zero dollars for Pell Grants to help people afford college, and zero dollars for our highways. Lie, lie, lie. So those are all Hillary lies. And I know we could do an entire show. In fact, we could do a series of shows. I don't even know. Maybe it'd stretch out for a year on the lies of Hillary and the lies of the Clintons more broadly. But that's why I, I, I won't be talked down to in this tone from members of the press who want to say, oh, doesn't it bother you that Trump lies so much? Uh, well, when you're talking about a Trump lie, are you talking about something you said that's inaccurate? And do you find that Hillary because a, a lie and inaccuracy are not the same thing. And do you find Hillary Clinton's obvious lies to be as troubling? No, of course not. They can bathe in hypocrisy all day and not have it bother them, but I still want to point it out. It still agitates me. So the the taxes were nothing. It was a big nothing burger, and it was uh, just really a, an effort to get people to tune in to an MSNBC show, because that, they're now going to position themselves. They're going to be fighting with CNN for anti-Trump, the heart of the anti-Trump resistance on TV. And you even had the journalist who was involved in all this uh, out on TV last night, uh, David K. Johnston. And here's his analysis of what happened with the Trump tax return 
Play 43, please. It had two very important words on it. Client copy. What does that tell you? Well, it tells me that, first of all, it didn't come from the Internal Revenue Service, which probably got it electronically. Uh, it came probably from someone who was given that copy either because they worked in the accounting firm that worked on this. The accounting firm has no comment. Uh, or it was produced in litigation or is produced for some regulatory proceeding. And somebody had access to it. And I think the reason they probably sent it to me is because I've written so much about negative incomes and how they're used by wealthy people not to pay taxes and the alternative minimum tax. Do you think it's possible that it was sent to you by the president? Yes. Donald has a long Oh, now, now it's now it's that, uh, that Donald Trump planned all this. You know, at what point does the left start to laugh at itself with all the amazing conspiracies they come up with? I, I'm just curious. I wonder when we get to say, hold on a minute, they're just asserting unproven theory after, or sorry, theory without proof after theory without proof. And they want us to believe that they're the guardians of democracy, that they stand, they stand athwart the powerful and hold them to account. The titans of our republic, the truth tellers, the media. I don't think so. Don't buy it. Not buying it. So a giant, I was right, as I said last night, right before the show finished up, a huge nothing burger, and it only was so exciting to Democrats and the left because they figured, okay, now we have an opportunity. Now we have a moment to finally uh, put some meat on the bone here. Now we can finally show evidence of how insidious, how evil Donald Trump really is. And then they were able to tell the American— Oh, and of course, the Russia connection. They're all— hoping and some are even were even suggesting early on that maybe this is where we see see those those uh, terrible Russia ties well uh there's a little problem with that you see because there was nothing in there other than Donald Trump making a lot of money and paying a lot of money in taxes in fact paying more in taxes than was most recently released by uh, Barack Obama as a, as a percentage of income I should say uh, Barack Obama uh, Bernie Sanders. That's right. The Democrat socialist. He he likes to take his tax write-offs, uh, and and even NBC News itself. So he pays a lot of money, or he did pay a lot of money that year in taxes. Maybe he, you know, let's just play along for a second. Maybe he did release it himself. Uh, isn't it fascinating that he can just make the media? You know, he wants them to jump. He says jump, and they do so. A nothing burger, a nothing burger that we all should have expected. The taxes are still, they're still going to bring it up. They're saying, well, that's only one year. Oh, I, I just as another point to bring up here before I uh, head us off into a break real quickly. Um, Trump wrote off $100 million in, in, in losses in 2005, the, the New York Times says, which is not a problem. Uh, this is also, not, you know, by claiming losses, the New York Times writes, President Trump apparently saved millions in dollars in taxes that he would have otherwise owed. But he took losses, so he does not owe the taxes. This is called complying with the tax code. Now the New York Times is reduced to hypotheticals about taxation and what somebody might owe. Well, you know, if you hadn't given all that money to charity, your taxable income would have been much higher. So really, you're you're doing something strange here. You're, you're really kind of underhanded. But no, it's A and then B. You take the losses, you put them, and, and then you claim them, and this is standard practice for people who are operating as Trump does in business. But they try to make even that seem somehow 
uh, a problem, an issue. It's called paying your taxes, paying what's owed. This, they did the same thing with Mitt Romney. He said, I, I pay what is owed. I pay all the taxes that are owed. And they're like, oh, well, you know, he doesn't pay more than is owed because he's a, he's a Grinch. He's terrible. He's so greedy. Well, no, who, who does pay, who pays more than they're owed? All these Democrats don't do it. The ones that want to raise your taxes, they're not off. They can, by the way, just so you know, you can, you can always give the federal government more money if you want to. They'll take it. Uh, but this whole tax scandal is a total non-scandal. And yet they will not leave this alone. Now, so we've done it's it's taxes in Russia today. We've already dealt with taxes. Now let's deal with Russia and the wiretapping allegations and the collusion with the Kremlin, all of that. We'll hit that in just a minute. Buck Saxon's America Now continues. We'll be right back. Let's talk about Russia, shall we? Comrade, let's discuss Russia, because that's what the Democrats... Come on, give me, give me some twos. Give me some Russian twos. Oh, yeah, here we go. Trump and Putin always hack elections, says Democrats who will not read newspaper. They lie and they cheat because they hate Donald Trump. All right, you get the idea. So they're hoping that they're going to be able to prove all this stuff. We're going to have more fun with that Soviet stuff coming up here soon because we're back in the Democrat era, or rather in, in the Red Scare era for the, with the Democrats. They are, um, or do I repeat myself? They are obsessed obsessed with this Russia connection, and they're pushing for more and more investigation into this. You've got FBI Director James Comey uh, briefing a group of uh, senators today uh, because they're asking now, they're asking him to clarify if the FBI is investigating any contacts between Moscow and the Trump campaign. So Comey met behind closed doors with uh, Grassley, Senator Grassley, Feinstein, and Mark Warner, those senators, uh, they weren't saying much after the meeting, according to the reports I'm reading here. Uh, quote, this briefing was all on sensitive matters and highly classified, and it's really not anything we can speak or we can answer any questions about, Feinstein told reporters. And uh, Feinstein further declined to comment on whether Comey confirmed the FBI is investigating a link between Trump officials and Russia, adding, I'm sorry, but it's the way life is here. So it's still in the classified realm. They don't have much more. Uh, beyond that. So we have to break this down into various layers. The, the, let's deal with the wiretapping now, because this was the explosive allegation that was made. Um, the explosive allegation about the previous administration. I know that President Trump said Obama and uh, you, you can you can give him the benefit of the doubt with that or not uh, and suggest and think that he was saying the previous administration, or you can think that he meant that Barack Obama was sitting there like, got an idea. Let's tap Trump's tower, uh, or Trump Tower. Um, so, yeah, you can think that. Um, but I think that the what, what Trump was going for was that this happened on Obama's watch. Now, is there any evidence of this? Other than the media reporting, no, I have seen no evidence of this whatsoever. Um, and you had a, uh, what is it, the chairman of the House Permanent, uh, or no, the uh, House uh, Select Committee on Intelligence, uh, Devin Nunez, Congressman Nunez, and he said, well, if you if you take Trump literally, you've got a problem here. Let's play 31. Um, I think the uh, the challenge here uh, is, is that is that the, 
you know, President Obama wouldn't physically go over and wiretap uh, Trump Tower. So now you have to decide, as I mentioned to you last week, are you going to take the, the tweets literally? And if you are, then clearly the president was wrong. But if you're not going to take the, the tweets literally, and if, if there's a concern that the president uh, has about uh, other people, other surveillance activities, uh, looking at him or his associates, uh, either appropriately or inappropriately, we want to find we want to find that out. I According to CNN here, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Nunez said he does not believe Trump's claim that Obama wiretapped him, uh, but said it's possible Trump communications may have been gathered in, quote, incidental intelligence collection. Well, we probably want to rule that out, don't we? It would be a fascinating state of affairs if the previous administration had somehow used national security collection, even if there was a reasonable justification for it, somehow, some way, Trump communications get picked up in that. And then I wonder if any of that made its way out into the public, because so much of the national security information that's out there that is classified um, were it to make its way out into the public would, of course, be very damaging. And, and we uh, to individuals, and we would never want to be in a position where we have members of the uh, either law enforcement branches or intelligence agencies who are using access to classified to settle political scores. So we, we would want to know, right? That's that's a part of all of this as well. Uh, but Nunez says that there was no actual, no actual tap. Play 39. We don't have any evidence that that took place. Uh, and in fact, I, I don't believe just in the last week of time, the people we've talked to, I don't think there was an actual tap of Trump Tower. So we're being told no actual tap. Um, now they want to see if they can run with the story about Comey having some FBI investigation underway. By the way, I, I, I think Comey should go. I don't know how you keep this FBI director in place, although maybe the problem is that he's so politicized that to ask him to step down is going to cause a political furor on its own. But I think Comey should be replaced. There are plenty of people to do that job. And Comey's going to go, he's either going to get some seven-figure job at a law firm, he's going to write a memoir, he'll make 100, 150K a speech. You know, he's going to be just fine. He's going to be just fine. Uh, I don't think we have to take an FBI director here for multiple administrations in a row just because he decided to become a household name by, remember, not prosecuting Hillary for what still seems to me to be obviously criminal conduct based on the statute um, that she fell under there with the emails and the collection of classified information on the classified servers. So uh, we, we got to talk a little more about the Russian investigation, the wiretapping. You got some Russian hackers that have been uh, identified and are facing charges now. I believe one of them in Canada, the rest are in Russia. And they were the hackers responsible for accessing hundreds of millions of Yahoo accounts illegally. So it's an enormous hack. And this is just breaking news from earlier today. So we'll get into that and all the rest of what is really a problem when it comes to Russia and what is part of the Democrats' Russia scare. 844-900-2825. We'll be right back. 
Buck Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on. Russia, mother Russia. All right, let's talk about Trump and Russia. And Oh, my. Uh, they are going to be looking into this allegation of collusion. By they, I mean members of the House and the Senate. They're bringing the FBI into this one. Keep in mind that no matter what investigative techniques are used, no matter how thorough the briefings, no matter how many times we hear that there has been no evidence of collusion provided, none that has surfaced in any case, anywhere, uh, collusion between Trump and Russia, it'll never go away. The narrative is set. This is a conspiracy that will be impossible to disprove for some people, at least. So uh, the, the day when I'm shown incontrovertible actual evidence on this, I will change my tune. But certainly hasn't happened yet. And the more that the Trump-Russia conspiracy theorists become shrill and aggressive on this, the more I think they don't have anything. Because they wouldn't have to do that if there was real information underneath all of it, but they're trying to bully people. There's an intimidation going on, a psychological warfare, if you will, where they're trying to convince people that even though there's no evidence, there must be something. Even though there's no way to prove it, you should believe it. I think that's really unfortunate, but that's where we are. And I have to, I'm I'm confused by well, maybe confused is the wrong word. I am concerned at the tone some Republicans are taking here. First of all, you know, John McCain earlier today, this isn't about Trump, but John McCain said that uh, on Senator Rand Paul that the, quote, the senator from Kentucky is now working for Vladimir Putin. Uh, this is over a foreign policy dispute. But, um, you know, John McCain, n- not cool. That's just not cool. Yeah, clear, clearly, Rand Paul is not working for Vladimir Putin. And why say something like that to a fellow Republican, never mind a fellow senator, and I, I think, look, I, I'd love to hear more Rand Paul ideas making their way up to the top of the Republican Party. Maybe he wasn't a great presidential candidate, but I still think he's got some really good ideas. I'd like to get a little more of a libertarian streak going with this Trump administration. I'm a little concerned about the uh, perhaps regressive approach to marijuana, for example, although I know on the list of issues that you and I care about, marijuana is not exactly at the very top. But you got Lindsey Graham out there saying that the FBI's got to respond about all this stuff, including on Trump's unsubstantiated claim, 32. This letter was a pretty simple request. Was there a warrant issued by any court anywhere in the United States allowing the surveillance of the Trump campaign, Trump Tower, or any Trump operative during the 2016 election? And please provide the information that was used to obtain a warrant if a warrant was requested and denied, we'd also like to know that. So apparently the FBI has contacted my staff that they will be at some date in the future providing us an answer to this in a classified... Uh... A classified setting? So does that mean we're never going to get to know? I doubt it, by the way. Let's all understand this, because I am sure of the following. 
if there was, forget classified, unclassified, I don't care what it is. And I used to have a TS clearance, so I understand classified. If there was information somewhere, I don't care how sensitive it was, and what the risks would be that really proved what has been alleged for so many months now by the biggest media outlets in the country, many of them, that Donald Trump was working or his campaign was working hand-in-hand with the Russians during the campaign. If that was out there, somebody would have leaked it. We would know about it. So if they go into this session, uh, it's closed-door session to speak about classified matters with the FBI. And and as I said earlier today, the FBI Director James Comey, who's a a very political figure at the top of the FBI, I don't think there's any dispute or debate about that, if he told them, if he gave them information that absolutely— created or or gave that smoking gun data point that we've been wondering if it's ever going to show up, we would know about it. Not going to hold it back. But instead, what you'll get is neither conference. They're not going to confirm anything. They're not going to deny anything. We won't really know. And this will be left to just linger. And they'll say, oh, well, it's sort of it's classified. Oh, well, we can't go into the investigation. The invest right now. What you have going on is an investigation into an investigation. That's what's ongoing. They're trying to figure out if they're still trying to figure out what happened with Trump and Russia. How much time should the government really spend on this? I also would like to remind us all, including myself, I remind myself of this because I think it's important to keep in mind, that there's still no crime that anybody has even alleged the Trump campaign committed with all this. I mean, you hear people who don't understand the the definition of the word treason say things like treason, but that's not true. I'd be very curious to know what the crime is supposed to be. Um, So they will continue to chase this down. Okay, fine. Uh, It will never go away. Uh, They're going to keep on pressing this story for the foreseeable future. And also, I should just point out that the Russia hacking story that's about Yahoo has nothing to do with Trump. You had a few Russians, including a couple of Russian agents. I read earlier today that they were um, here's what we've got. This is from The New York Times uh, that in a development that can only heighten the distrust between American and Russian authorities on cybersecurity, the Justice Department on Wednesday charged two Russian intelligence officers with directing a sweeping criminal conspiracy that broke into 500 million Yahoo accounts in 2014. The Russian government then used the information it obtained from the intelligence officers and two others named in the indictment, a Russian hacker and a Kazakh uh, national living in Canada, to focus on foreign officials, business executives, and journalists, federal prosecutors said. Targets included numerous financial executives, executives at an American cloud computing company, an airline official, and even a casino regular regulator, whoops, in <laughs> regular, hey, he's at the crap stable, a regulator in Nevada. Uh, d- this is the, the real story here, and it's a continuing one, is that the Russians, the Chinese, and others are engaged in the greatest theft of sensitive and classified and uh, commercially advantageous information in the history of mankind, continuously. This is all, and, and they're not the only country. There are other countries doing this as well. It's the Russians, the Chinese. are These are large countries with a lot of nuclear missiles and advanced cyber capabilities. Uh, there are other countries that probably have smaller pockets of some decent hacker capability as well, which they deploy for nefarious purposes. 
But the interest in this, of of course, the reason this is a major news story, a major headline, because other than this, okay, so a couple of uh, some Russian uh, Russian agents hacked into Yahoo. Most people would say, all right, that's that sounds bad. I don't want my information to get out there and to be used and abused by the Russians. But then you think, oh, whatever happened with the, wasn't there that OPM hack? How many millions of government employees had their information exposed with that? And, and you just go down the line with all these massive hacking operations that we can't even calculate what the real long-term damage of this is. And those are the ones you know about, by the way. Those are the ones that get reported on. There are lots of them that either the in, the hack e instead of the hacker, is that a thing? Let's make that a thing. The hack e, um, like, is with the hacky sack is the, the ball, right? That you, you kick around, right? Hippies? Yeah, hippies. So the person or the entity that has been hacked, we'll go with that, um, they may not know. And if they do know, they may not want to come public with it. And if they're a government entity, it could even be classified that they've been hacked and they don't want to put that information out there. But this is the, the espionage has changed. Industrial espionage, national security espionage, this has changed. Why would you risk human assets when you can just do this from a, the safety of a computer in a, in, a, in a foreign country? So this is ongoing, but the attention that is given to this is disproportionate to what it normally would be, I think, because Russia, right now we all need to be scared. Media wants us all to be really scared of Russia, um, a country that when it was take, taking off chunks of Ukraine and a country that when it has been militarily bullying its neighbors, the Obama administration was like, well, you know, let's talk to the EU and maybe we'll get some sanctions going. It's no big deal. Everyone needs to calm down. Didn't want to give any uh, lethal aid to Ukraine to battle back against the Russian insurgents in eastern Ukraine. That, that They didn't want that to happen. Now we're supposed to be scared. Now it changes all of a sudden. Um, Russia is a national security threat. When, as I've said before, Bill Clinton was getting paid a half million dollars by a Russian bank with ties directly to the top of the Kremlin to give a speech while his wife was at the head of the U.S. State Department making a, a determination on Russian control and sale of American uranium, th then we weren't being told how scary Russia was. Th this is a new phenomenon because Hillary lost the election. What convenient and interesting timing. And individuals I see in the, in the media who have been yelling for years about how Republicans are either chicken hawks, you know, they, they, they say they talk tough, they don't want to do anything, or they just want to bomb everybody and we shouldn't do the things they say we should do. Now with Russia, it sounds like they want to roll up their sleeves and throw down. And it's not because of cyber hacking of Yahoo. It's not because of uh, Putin's authoritarianism or the seizure of Crimea, the meddling in eastern Ukraine, uh, or even the brutal Russian intervention in Syria on behalf of the Assad regime. That's not that is not what gets liberals exercised. That's not what gets them fired up in this country. Now, it's the belief they have because it keeps them safe and warm at night to think that this is true the belief that russia handed donald trump the election and all of the present ills they face all the terrible the terrible things they have to deal with walking around and seeing the smiles on the faces of those who wear 
uh, Make America Great Again hats. It's all the fault of Trump and the Russians. And so that's why they won't let this go. It's not about our national security. If they want to have a serious conversation about the threat of hacking and industrial, economic, and national security espionage, great. But that's been going on for quite a while. And Podesta and the DNC's emails are barely a blip on the screen if we're going to look at what really matters and what the digital uh, information casualties are from this ongoing hacking war. And it's a war that, unfortunately, we're the ones that have the secrets to steal. It's part of the problem. We're the ones that are constantly on defense because we have the best technology. We have the most successful companies. So we're the big target for this. And I think there are many in the government who also have their qualms about how and if we should even retaliate in kind to much of this. So uh, you're not, we're not really clear even on, on how the response should go. But as I said before, this is really all about hatred of Russia because of the election with Hillary. They got nothing still on Trump. We hear Comey's going to testify in the open next week. I'm sure we're just going to get a lot more non-answers. And they're saying there's no wiretap. Okay, there's no wiretap. I wish the I wish the McClatchy, the New York Times, and the Guardian would have gotten it straight because they're reporting on surveillance and counterintelligence investigations against Trump associates for months. And nobody nobody said boo-hoo about any of that. 844-900-2825. We are rocking in the Freedom Hunt. I'll be right back. I remember when Barack Obama made fun of Mitt Romney for saying that Russia was our geopolitical, our number one geopolitical foe. And and liberals all laughed. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, I remember when Barack Obama told Medvedev on an open mic that after his election, he would have more flexibility to do things that the Russians wanted him to do. And I remember eight years of an Obama presidency where there was no regime too odious, too totalitarian, too tyrannical for the embrace of our former commander in chiefs, top diplomats and and even himself on some occasions, whether he was personally bowing or sending diplomats to make deals that weren't to the benefit of the American people. And any time that you suggested that maybe maybe even the diplomacy was a little bit a little bit too one sided, a little too soft. They would say, oh, well, you just want war, don't you? That's what this is all about. You just want a war with that country. Those were always our options. The Obama way or war. Ooh, that seems a bit intellectually dishonest, doesn't it? And Russia is, as I've said to you, go, go back and look at eight years of what Russia has done, the way the Democrats were talking about it then and how they talk about it now. For all those eight years, Russia still had a big military, a very active intelligence service, was engaged in cyber espionage, has engaged in uh, military interventions abroad, human rights abuses, killing journalists, all that stuff that's been happening under the Russian regime. It's not new. All that's new is the outrage. What's the new ingredient in this sauce, everybody? We can figure this one out. Before we go into the next hour, though, we're going to switch up topics. Let's get uh, Jesus in California on KFNY. What's up? A war with that. What's going on, dude? What's up? Not much, man. How are you? I'm really good. How about yourself? I'm I'm rocking and rolling. We're on we're on uh, we're on national radio. So what's on your mind? Oh, what's on my mind? Uh, well, this month I heard about a missile strike that Donald Trump signed, and that missile strike went direct to directly to China. Is that true? 
I live here in California. We see UFOs every day. We see aliens. We're going through an alien war. I want to know what's going on, what's up, what's happening, and if that's true. Uh, you see UFOs every day? Where's your... Dude, you've got an iPhone. You should be videotaping that. They're all over the place. But we're also going to let our friend go here. Thanks, uh, Jesus. UFO, UFOs every day. Um, a little, a little quiet missile strike on China. Who doesn't need a little sneak attack on a vast nuclear power with a billion plus population? I mean, you know, no problem. What? What are you looking? You looking at me like I'm crazy? Am I, is that is that a crazy thing to say? No, of, of course we shouldn't have a sneak attack on China. That would be insane. I like that though. It's, uh, a missile strike on China. I don't know how. I don't know how that guy got through the gauntlet here, but he did somehow. And. uh didn't really have much to say. The UFOs, I don't know. People always used to ask me when I was in the CIA. I, I, I had to laugh about this. So I'm a CIA analyst. I'm covering Iraq and Afghanistan. And I would get, people would ask me, uh, what, what can you tell us? Well, first of all, the, like the JFK assassination thing. I'm like, do you think that there's some awesome file the CIA has somewhere that's like only CIA people get to read this? If it was that cool, somebody would have talked about it on the outside. Uh, but also on Roswell and uh, Area 54. Four, right? One, 50, wait, which one? Is it 56? That's five, one. 51! Sorry, our hand signals with the uh, with the team in here were off there for a second. Uh, rather, my reading of them, my eyes, I'm getting old. Um, but yeah, Area 51, I don't know anything about that stuff. I was like, I do you want to talk about counterinsurgency activity in, I don't know, like Anbar or Ninua or Baghdad or something. We could talk about that maybe, but I do not know anything about Area 51. And then I get kind of sad on the inside. I'm like, well, I am in the CIA. When do I get read into the cool Roswell files? Of and the answer was never. I didn't learn anything cool like that. Nothing about the Kennedy assassination, nothing about Roswell, nothing about UFOs. Anyway, after watching all those episodes of the X-Files, why do they think I joined the CIA in the first place? It was such a such a disappointment. It was actually... A lot of a lot of policy and paperwork and occasionally some cool stuff. Hour two coming up. Be right back in a few. The things that matter most in your day-to-day life are too important to trust to just anyone. That's that's why that's why he's here. Buck Sexton with America Now. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. I got some breaking news for all of you. Federal judge in Hawaii. We talked about this here. In the Freedom Hut. Federal judge in Hawaii has blocked Trump's travel ban hours, just hours before it was going to come into effect. Oh, what a shock here. Not at all, actually. Federal judge in Hawaii. He was the first one to challenge this, and I, I told you at the time, and we'll get into some of the, uh, the merits of this or the lack thereof in just a few moments. But yeah, you've got an, an, a yet. They have the revised order narrowed down, tailored, so that it would not be struck down by judges. But you see, federal judges now, the progressive ones who legislate from the bench, they view themselves as the last defense of the progressive statist agenda under a Trump administration. Uh, they, they are now the ones that are in a position to always prevent President Trump from enacting his policy. You know, all it takes is someone to run and cry to a federal judge and say, oh, we don't like what Trump is doing, and now you'll see some of these federal judges will come up with a rationale to say no, and then we'll see if it gets overturned. And by the way, if they 
get overturned on uh, the U.S. Court of Appeals, which, depending on the circuit, is unlikely or might happen. Depends on where we're talking about in Hawaii. Uh, Ninth Circuit, no way. That's gonna. There's the appeals court's gonna be probably good to go on that one for the progressives. Has to make its way up to the Supreme Court. Oh, we've got some Gorsuch, Neil Gorsuch stuff to talk about as well. But so you got a federal judge out in Hawaii has said no to the Trump order. Also, and I just wanted to get this out there because uh, I don't want to return to the subject entirely, but wanted to add this in. Um, you have. CNN breaking this news. House Intel Committee seeks names of Obama officials who requested unmasking of Americans picked up on surveillance. So this is important. Let me walk you through this for a second. The leaders of the House Intelligence Committee asked the three leaders of the intelligence community Wednesday about any time during the last seven months of the Obama administration Whenever any of its agents and officials improperly improperly named or unmasked and disseminated the identities of American citizens picked up in intelligence collection. Chairman Devin Nunez and ranking member Adam Schiff wrote they were concerned that members of the intelligence community have not been sufficiently honoring previously established robust minimization procedures to protect the identities of U.S. citizens, including masking their names. The letter they sent refers to the disclosure of the public that former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn had several conversations with the Russian ambassador. So what they're saying here is if the Russian ambassador was under surveillance, i.e. under intelligence collection, he's not under a criminal surveillance. How the heck does anybody get word of who the American was on that phone call? Not only have we already been told, of course, that that disclosure is illegal, it is a violation of classified protocols, it is a felony, it is a federal crime, but where where are the protections? Why were there not the protections in place that are supposed to prevent exactly what happened, it seems, from happening? Which is an American was picked up on surveillance and then it was leaked for political purposes. That's why there are supposed to be procedures in place to prevent this from happening. First and foremost, that it's illegal and it's a violation of federal law. Um, but that's going to be interesting to see if there is any, if there is uh, any additional information here. If they find out that in fact there were some requests from within the Obama administration, or there were some efforts, there was a, it, we say paper trail, but it would really be a digital trail. But there is a digital trail left behind of, oh, we're going to pass around an American's name who may have been uh, caught up in in intelligence collection. So remember, this isn't about a, this wouldn't be on a criminal warrant side. This this brings us back to the national security uh, national security eavesdropping, which has different standards, and these standards are public. You can read about Title Three warrants, criminal warrants versus. Uh, National Security Act and FISA warrants and all the rest of that. Um, so they're asking this question. And it seems to me the American people, pardon the uh, much hackneyed phrase here, but the American people do have a right to know. They have a right to know. So they're asking the question here. We'll see if they get any additional answers. But now let's let's talk for a moment about Hawaii. Ah, uh, yes, Hawaii. As I've said, I, I have, I've been to Hawaii a couple of times. I'm hoping to get back there soon it's just tough to get the time and also the flights are expensive but it's a beautiful place i love hawaii and i know we have a a great affiliate of this show playing us out in honolulu and we are very thankful for that uh 
But this federal judge out in Hawaii, I, I knew he was going to over. That's why he immediately came out or, or accepted the challenge right away. Because you see, if you want this to be a feather in your cap, if you want this to be uh, a career trophy as a federal judge, you absolutely have to be the. You, you, well, you really want to be the first one who accepts that there's a there's a challenge in federal court to a Trump executive order. And then, in this case, also you want to be the first one to shut it down. And that's what they're doing. Hawaii has sued to stop Trump's travel. We call it, They keep calling it a travel ban. And executive order on immigration is too long. I wish they had just, can we just settle on visa vetting procedures or something like that? There needs to be a better, because it's not a ban. A travel ban would be no one's allowed to come into America, period. That's a travel ban. A Muslim ban would be no Muslims are allowed to come into America, period. We don't have a Muslim ban. So we need a better term for this because by calling it a travel ban, we're already conceding too much in the argument. But then you look at Hawaii's argument, and uh, oh, man, I'm sitting here. I know. Hawaii, you're, 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 so, you're so pretty, Hawaii. You're so nice. I like Hawaii. Uh, we're looking at the argument, though, that this, and this isn't the state of why are the people, this is one federal judge in Hawaii. I get that, but it's just, it's just disappointing to see this. This federal judge comes out, and the argument against the travel order, which, remember, has the, the Trump administration has had the benefit now of seeing what the objections were from progressive judges already on the circuit courts, and they know what they uh, were, were bringing. They know what they're bringing to the table with that. So then they were able to make modifications, but the modifications were not enough. Um, we all right. I got to switch. We we've actually got our friend uh, James Carafano on the line here. So we're going to switch topics up for a second. I'll get back to Hawaii and the travel order. Uh, Jim Carafano is vice president at the Heritage Foundation, and he's a leading expert in national security and foreign policy, and was a 25-year Army veteran. Jim, great to get you on. Yeah, don't get me started on the travel order either, because you know I I worked a lot on that during the presidential transition. So really, so let's not go there. I didn't actually write the order, but um, no, yeah. can, can we go there? <laughs> because no, no, I know absolutely. you said we, we shouldn't go there, but I didn't know you'd worked on this. So what uh, what do you think about this Hawaiian uh, federal judge coming down, or this federal judge in Hawaii saying uh, no good? Yeah, well, first of all, not much. I mean, on, on the on the merits of it. I think they're indisputable, and I think that's gotten lost in this whole thing, is there's legitimate national security issue that we were concerned about. It had nothing to do with Trump's campaign comments about Muslim land or anything else, and it dealt with a very specific problem, is that the recognition that as ISIS lost space in Iraq and Syria, you had tens of thousands of foreign fighters flow into the, the battle space. As they lost, they were going to go somewhere. And the logic is, is they were going to go to the countries or be resident in the countries that are named in the order. And because we've seen ISIS and al-Qaeda do this before, where they've tried to exfiltrate uh, terrorist groups either through the refugee chain or through visas. They have done sure. this in Europe. It has That's happened. Right. Sorry, That's Jim, right. but go ahead. Yeah, I know. And so the idea was let's make sure, since we are the new guys in town, if something happens on our watch, we're going to get blamed on Obama. Let's make sure that our processes are ironclad, that we're doing the best we can to prevent that. Because this is an emergent threat that we know it's going to happen. It clearly was not a Muslim ban. matter of fact, dropping the Iraq from the order definitely proved that because the Iraqis came back and said, look, we'll do more to make you happy. And they did. And then we dropped them. So, um, so on the merits of doing it, I think it's indisputable. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but what, here's what bothers me about the whole thing. 
when I hear the lawyers and the judges m- mimic the same rhetoric of the president's political opponents, I, I wrote an article on this for National Interest. It's very, very, and it's very, very difficult to argue that this is just not partisan politics through the court and lawfare, and it's not about legitimate, uh, le- uh, you know, legitimate adjudication of law. Period. So. Yeah, I I, I have to say that when you read the objection, I mean, Hawaii is saying that because there is a temporary limitation on uh, on visas and refugees from Somalia, Yemen, uh, we we go down the list, Iran, that it's really going to hurt their schools and their tourism industry. I I don't think a lot of uh, Somalis and Yemenis and Iranians and uh, the rest of the countries on this list, I I don't think they're making up a, a large portion of tourists to Hawaii, it just seems like a completely disingenuous argument. And I mean, and, and even if that were true, I mean, if you read the base language of the law, it's irrelevant. I mean, the, the president has the power to do this in the name of national security. If people are inconvenienced, tough. I mean, you, do, does anybody remember the the imposition that we put on students? Uh, after 9/11, when we revamped the, the 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 student visa process, it was monumental, and and if the if President Bush could do that, which affected students all over the country, and 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 in many ways put the entire academic industry on its ear, because all of a sudden you couldn't get foreign students here. So if that was legal, how could that be legal? And a, a ban which which come on only can only incidentally affect Hawaii. How could that be an imposition on the state, which which trumps, no pun intended, national security concerns? It, to me, it makes no sense on its face. But, but you know, that, that's we'll see how it plays out in courts. Um, but you know, my money is on the administration on this one. What do you think about uh, the whole Russia Trump dust up? I know there's so much going on, but there's been a lot of stories about it today. Where do you come down on all that, Jim? I think it's all just smoke. I mean, I, I, you know, not that I write a lot of, maybe I do write a lot of articles for national interest, but I've been writing a lot of these articles lately, kind of, you know, explaining Trumpism because what you hear out there is just, there's so much noise. And, and, and I think the Russia stuff from, from the perspective of this administration is complete and utter noise. The the notion that somehow there's a, 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 a collusion or movement in this administration to kind of turn the world over to the Russians. You know, I think it's just fatuous on his face. And I say that based on basically having worked with these guys since um, the convention, it, not in a partisan way, because I don't do campaign stuff, but, but working with these people throughout the transition. So if there's a secret cabal somewhere that's turning over, okay, maybe, but, but I sure haven't seen any evidence. And to me, the most stunning one is remember when the, the Washington Post came out with their expose and they said, well, Sessions met with the Russian ambassador twice. I organized one of those meetings because I, our group, the Heritage Foundation, we organized the education program for the ambassadors at the Republican Convention because it's a nonprofit, nonpartisan activity. And that event included about 60 ambassadors and about 100 people. And, and the meeting with the Russian ambassador was the Russian ambassador standing in line waiting for his turn to talk to Senator Sessions. And, and when they talked, and I don't even think Sessions knew that the Russian ambassador was going to be there, when they talked, it was in the presence of about a half a dozen people who were standing around waiting for their turn to talk to Sessions. So to count that as a meeting or anything other than an incidental contact, I think it's just... It, and, yeah, and it's, a, it's a bad place to plot the overthrow that. of the U.S. election. I think that's fair to say. 
I would think so. So I, I, I think that this is all just absolute and complete and utter rubbish. And people are just connecting dots they want to connect. What do you think about the surveillance? What do you think about the surveillance claims, though? There were these. There were very serious news stories from big outlets about a counterintelligence investigation that was sweeping up Trump associates. Does that does that pass the smell test for you? You think the whole thing is bogus? Not that they did anything, but that they were under investigation. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, clearly there. I mean, it's publicly known that there is a computer in Trump Tower that was included in electronic surveillance and a investigation of something that we don't know that was in contact with a Russian bank. Well, so clearly somebody got surveilled or whatever, but uh, I think this thing has just been completely out of proportion, just a huge and utter distraction. And the, the irony is, is, as it becomes clearer every day that our policy towards Western Europe is actually looking pretty conventional, traditional support for NATO, traditional support for allies, as our, the actual policy that's unfolding looks w- way more mainstream than Obama, the, the Russian stuff just increases in, in absolute, you know, kind of utter disregard of, of, of that. It's, um, it's, you know, it's, I guess it's what we kind of expect in a hyperpartisan environment, but it so, seems to me kind of so divorced from the reality as I'm seeing it on the ground, actually watching these guys try to govern. Jim, we're going to have to ha- head into a break in a second here, but I wanted you to just give us the, uh, give us the, the, quick, the quick version of the most shocking thing about Trump so far is how boring he's been. You wrote this on, Herit- on the Heritage Foundation website. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I mean, I think if you look at all the big foreign policy stuff, what they're trying to do in the Middle East, what they're doing in Western Europe, and what they're doing in China, in many ways, it is traditional American foreign policies, way more mainstream than Obama, in many cases, more mainstream than Bush. So the, the rhetoric is completely and utter disconnected from reality. And haven't some of the NATO allies already said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to spend a little more money in our defense because we're obligated to do so? I, I've been seeing that. that would, usually, I would think that's a diplomatic win, but he doesn't get much credit yeah. for that. No, I, I, it's absolutely true. Ironically, Trump's actually gotten people to deliver on something that American presidents have been talking about for decades, which is other countries need to spend more. And and ironically, they are spending more. Now, to be fair to them, they're spending more, not just because Donald Trump said so, because they're really worried about the Russians. And then they look and turn around and see Trump's promise to spend more and make sure we have a more capable military in Europe, and they're matching us. Jim Carafano is vice president of the Heritage Foundation. He is at JJ Carafano on Twitter. And check out his pieces on the national interest. Jim, thanks for making the time. Great to have you on. Anytime, brother. You too, man. Uh, 844-900-2825. Team Buck, light up those lines. We will be right back. So this federal judge in Hawaii, which, of course, as we know, falls under the Ninth Circuit as well. What a, what a shock that... We're getting challenges in the ninth. So this is where the challenges are happening. Oh, the ninth circuit. Oh, let's go to the ninth circuit. Uh, and I'll get more into that in a second. We'll have a, a frank discussion about what, what is what is deep state, what is the bureaucracy, and how much truth is there that there has been a progressive takeover of the latter, and how many progressives are really a part of the former. Uh, is there even a is there even a deep state worthy of the name? It's a question that we should address. Um. But you go back to this uh, federal judge for a second, Hawaii, they're saying the New York Times actually tells us a lot of what the leftist mentality is here because they say that uh, this is, uh, quote, this order brings back memories for a lot of people here, uh, Mr. Chin said, uh, who's a a Democrat, uh, who's a state attorney general there. 
He said, anytime you have an executive order or some government decision that's calling out people by their nation of origin or by religion, we've got to be a check against that. I don't, he's not able to read the text of the law and interpret it in plain English, it seems. It's very straightforward. In no way does it discriminate on the basis of religion. There are people who live in some of these countries who are not, in fact, Muslim that would also be covered in the ban because it's a, it's a nation of origin limitation on travel. That's what we should call it. It is not a ban. It is not permanent. It's certainly not a Muslim ban. Uh, they removed Iraq from it, as Jim Carafano from Heritage just pointed out, uh, and I've mentioned before on the show. So they're willing to try and be reasonable about this. And Jim made an essential point that I wish more people out there with platforms would pay attention to. And that is, yeah, okay, Trump is taking this uh, taking this position now early on in his presidency because he understands that given the indicators of the Islamic State and the displacement of fighters that's occurring because of the ongoing battle for Mosul as well as for in Iraq as well as Raqqa in Syria, given that reality and the infiltration of Europe that has occurred, in the past for terrorist activity by jihadists using refugee flows and given the prevalence of terrorism in some countries and the refugees fleeing from those countries as well this is an opening a vulnerability trump would be derelict in his duty as commander-in-chief if he did not pay attention to this and he will get the full blame of course for this he's not going to be able to do what president obama did which is have the media pretend that a jihadist attack isn't really a jihadist attack for the first week. Maybe it's workplace violence. Maybe it's some guy who's upset about health care. You know, th- he doesn't have the benefit of the media playing that game for him. He will get the blame. So he's trying to take action, and these activist federal judges are stopping him. Buck Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on. We're going to talk about judges. We should also bring up Neil Gorsuch, uh, who has a sterling resume uh, Harvard educated, Harvard Law School. You know, he's a a brilliant guy. Has all the credentials, all of the qualities that one would want in a Supreme Court nominee. But progressives, because for them, the ends justify the means, and they don't care what the rules are. They don't care what the Constitution says. They have policies that they want enacted, one way or another. They want to force other people to do what they say. They want to bend others to the force of their will. And judges are very useful for that, as we see now in Hawaii. Um, But there are other places as well. Um, Judges uh, are one of the best tools that progressives use, both both as we see now, to thwart legitimate actions of government and uh, executive branch officials, uh, but also to enact their own policies, laws, through their decisions, especially at the Supreme Court level. Um, And Gorsuch is a real threat because they've absolutely stacked the federal federal courts with Obama loyalists. This did not get enough attention before, and I I beseech you to just remember this going forward. There was all of that discussion over the nuclear option, and Harry Reid, when he was Senate Majority Leader, went for it. And people at the time said, oh, well, this is— this is terrible. Look what he's done. And then it died down 
because, well, they didn't do the nuclear option, meaning an up or down vote, no more filibusters, 51 votes all you need for uh, nominees to the Supreme Court. There you could still filibuster, but they did it for lower federal courts. And that then cleared the way to just pack the courts with Obama loyalists, progressive leftists, uh, those who believe in a living constitution, which is just a fancy way of saying the constitution says whatever I want it to say, or I will I will come up with an interpretation of it that suits my policy preferences, even if the plain language does not state that. So it's a great you know, it's a great philosophy to have if you just want to get your way all the time. It's the judicial equivalent of because I said so. <laughs> so that's what you have, and that happened. And these are lifetime appointments. You have a lot of federal judges now uh, that were put in place specifically to help protect the Obama progressive agenda of eight years and also perpetuate it in the future. Now, I'm pretty sure, by the way, this judge out in Hawaii that has issued this ruling is, in fact, is an Obama appointee, for example. Um, but they also realize that Gorsuch, who they're, they're just not going to find anything. You know, they're, they're looking so hard. I mean, they are looking into Neil Gorsuch's background right now, the press, the media, uh, as in as detailed and uh, feverishly a fashion as anyone probably up to and including Donald Trump. They're really going to try to find. And look, the thing about Trump is that there was already a lot about him that was known. There was already a lot of information out there on Trump, including some not necessarily flattering stuff. Uh, but and I think that that was part of the inoculation against media criticism we already knew a lot about Trump. There wasn't a whole lot that was going to shock us about Donald Trump because there was so much that was already out there. With Gorsuch, he's led a relatively private life up until now for a federal a federal judge. And they're going to they're going to come after him with everything they've got as soon as the attention shifts, which is going to happen soon here with the uh, nomination or with the confirmation rather hearings. Uh, this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. New York Times piece published yesterday, Neil Gorsuch has web of ties to secretive billionaire. I mean, this is when you read this piece, this is out of the Rachel Maddow school of overselling, overselling what you've got. We have Trump's tax returns. And by that, we have two pages that shows that he made a lot of money and paid a lot of taxes a, a decade ago. Yay, us. Uh Gorsuch has a web of ties to a secret billionaire in the sense that he worked as a lawyer for a guy named Philip Anschutz, who, oh, this is really going to upset the left, is a billionaire who happens to support conservative publications like the Weekly Standard and the Washington Examiner. So, And he's a Colorado uh, native, lives in Colorado, where Judge Neil Gorsuch is a, is a Denver native. And there's all these ties between the two and their families. And so, okay, Gorsuch, who's a, a federal judge and a very well-established guy with impeccable credentials and background, knows and has worked for in the past a guy who's worth a lot of money. The problem with the guy who's worth a lot of money, by the way, is that he also he is um, uh, he has given money to the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation. So he's al along the line. They're going to create, by the way. You're going to hear a lot more, I would think, about Mr. Anschutz, the billionaire, uh, because he is going to become what the Koch brothers were under the 
uh, Bush and for part and the and the Obama administration too. But the Koch brothers became the new Halliburton, which was the wealthy uh, Republican monocle and top hat wearing bad guys that just want to steamroll the poor, bomb foreign countries, and and run away with their crony capitalist ways or whatever. I mean, this is the this is the caricature that's created uh, by the left of these people because you need. You need those who are mobilized for progressive causes who tend not to be particularly well-informed. And that's I'm being very polite, and ge- I'm in a generous mood today. I don't know why. I'm being very polite about that. But they tend not to be well-informed. You need to give them caricatured, obvious, evil bad guys. So whether it's Halliburton, Dick Cheney, Koch brothers, I think you'll see them try to do that with Anschutz as well because this is the best they've gotten so far on Gorsuch. Gorsuch, who is going to be up for... Supreme Court and certainly should get confirmed. And then you'd have an, you'd have a conservative, perhaps in the general vein of Scalia, though nobody will ever replace Justice Anton Scalia. But you'll have another conservative on the court that's going to infuriate the left. That is going to drive them insane. And so they're trying they're scrambling now to find something. And that's how you get a piece in a otherwise allegedly serious newspaper like the New York Times, that Gorsuch has a web of ties to secret of billionaires. By that, I think they mean uh, has family connections to and has known a guy who's worth a lot of money and gives a lot of money to conservative causes, charitable causes. He's a billionaire. Okay. So, so what? I mean, we've got a billionaire as the president right now. Who, what, what's the, who cares? I mean, you know, you got the, the Clintons, Managed to become worth uh, over a hundred million dollars from quote giving speeches end quote and by that we mean selling access but yeah giving speeches and writing books that do not nearly justify the incredibly large advances that these publishing houses give to them true for both the Clintons and true for the Obamas as well um, but they write pieces they're going to write pieces about Gorsuch they're going to create I think they're going to try at least to create a a villain out of Anschutz. And all they have to do to create a villain is just say, well, he's really rich and he supports Republican stuff like the Koch brothers, you know, and and then just say that anything that they don't like, it must be funded by just the way the Koch brothers became. The Koch brothers almost became a a slur for the left. Oh, it's a Koch brothers funded. Yeah, the Koch brothers also write checks for like the opera, you know, (laughs) they they write a, a lot of charitable work, too. And and they just have been very successful making money. We're a capitalist country. They've been involved in industry. And why Why are they Were they're bad? Oh, they're bad guys because they support conservative causes. I see. And the same is going to be, uh, that's, that's going to be the same playbook, I think, with, with Anschutz here because they've got nothing else on Gorsuch. They're going to try to take him down with this. But I'm also reminded of this. And uh, Gorsuch, he's up for the Supreme Court. All you have to do is get through confirmation. And then it does, then they can say whatever they want about him. It's not really going to matter. Um, but keep in mind that as we, um, as we look going forward at the way the left treats people that are important to conservatism, I, I don't think this gets enough attention. The left takes care of its own. The Democrats take care of their own. Even if you have a fall from grace, even if you uh, don't manage to make it through the gauntlet of media attention and criticism, if you're up for a senior post in a Democrat administration or you're just doing your part for the Democrat media industrial complex, they will catch your back. They'll make sure that you have a soft landing, that you have a, a job 
waiting for you, that you have consulting opportunities. You know, they always do this for their own. And I, I don't know. I, I've been reading about this, and I can't verify 100% whether this is a little bit of, of, of whining or this is all totally true. But I, I did think about it. I saw this uh, governor of, former governor of North Carolina, Pat McCrory, said recently in an interview that uh, because he was the bathroom bill guy, quote, the bill has impacted me to this day, even after I left office. People are reluctant to hire me because, oh, my gosh, he's a bigot, which is the last thing I am, end quote. So he's saying because he was the bathroom bill guy, which had to do with using the bathroom that identify that you identify with on your gender or, or the gender that is on your birth certificate, because that was the law of North Carolina passed. And then all these private companies were threatening to boycott, and we won't we won't build there, we won't hire there, we won't have concerts there, we won't play sports there. Turned into this enormous controversy. None of these people, it seemed, for years even knew anything about transgender students or transgender kids or adults or any of that stuff. And then all of a sudden it became the pinnacle of the progressive civil rights movement, and if you weren't on the right side of this, you had to be destroyed. This is a reminder, though, as we go up into the Gorsuch hearings here, and we're, I'm sure some of you will be reminded of what happened to Judge Robert Bork, um, that they will try to destroy our people. And even if they can't just destroy them when they're in the public eye, when they're in office or trying to get an office, the progressives now have a long memory and they play for keeps. They will punish people on the outside of public life. They will publish, I mean, they will punish people who have moved on, who just want to go about their day, feed their families, live their lives, make a living, they will remember, based on policy differences, they will remember, and they will try to even out the score later on. And this has become acceptable. It's the same reason why, because ultimately it comes from a mindset of being a, a petty Stalinist, which so many true and truly zealous leftist ideologues today are. They're little petty Stalinists. They just want to crush. They will not allow any deviation from their Democrat orthodoxy. And if you cross them on this, it's not just they think you're wrong or even they think you're stupid. They think you need to be punished. They think your life has to be ruined. You have to be humiliated and your reputation has to be destroyed. And whether it's in politics or media or any number of other areas, I'm sure it's probably true if I had some friends on who work in law, I don't know, maybe maybe finance too, I don't know. But it's definitely true in media, it's definitely true in politics. Uh, and it's increasingly true in corporate America that if you're on the wrong side of them politically, even if they can't get you in the beginning, they will find a way to exact some revenge on you for your heresy because that's what they think this is. Whether it's on the bathroom bill or Trump's executive order on immigration or, yes, sanctuary cities, which I'm going to talk to you about in a second, you are a heretic to them. You are not somebody that needs to be reasoned with. They do not want to convert you. They want to hunt down heretics and punish them. I wish they'd spend more time trying to convert us. Instead, they just want to find people to make an example of for all the rest. 844-900-2825. we got much more Buck Sex with America now. Hold the line. Be right back. By the way, it's not just uh, the executive order on immigration where you can expect federal judges to interfere in executive branch prerogative. There's also the issue of sanctuary cities, which I want to address in just a second. But uh, first, we have uh, Caitlin in Wyoming. 
Caitlin, welcome to uh, the Buck Sexton Show. How you doing? Pretty good. Shields high, Buck. Shields high. So I, I wanted to say um, I must be a part of the whole conspiracy theory because I actually have connections with Anschutz, too. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, the widow of a farmer, and we used to uh, farm right next door to him and combine his pheasants accidentally that were farm raised. Ah. But the bigger story is, so, so wait, you, you would have a web, you, you're part of the uh, the secret web of connections they talk about then with uh, Gorsuch, as in you had some connection to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Gorsuch and, and Trump and everything else. But the, the crazier part is I, I know Pete Coors. I've met him. Cause he, and I know he knows Anschutz. You know I'm being tongue-in-cheek, hopefully, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, we devilish conservatives, it's all a great big conspiracy theory with, with uh, Pete Coors owning great hunting ground, just like Anschutz does down on the uh, South Platte River. Well, there's, I mean, the Democrats like to have, uh, on their side, they like to have the Tom Steyers and the George Soroses and as many big check-writing, ultra-progressive <laughs> billionaires as possible, funding all sorts of things and pretend, and, and, and doing it through pass-throughs and through organizations that then, that then give the money to other organizations so it looks more grassroots. But they, and they hate, I mean, look at the way that you'll see people refer to, on the left, the Koch brothers— no, nobody refers to like Tom Steyer that way. I mean, I know, but Soros, but Soros is easy to. You look at what Soros has done, and you go, ah, uh, okay. Uh, no, no, no. He, he's as Glenn Beck says, the spooky dude. But you know, I don't think he's. Never mind yeah. that he really is kind of truly spooky and seems to be immortal. But <laughs> he's he's, um, he's an yeah, interesting character. And, not, anything else, Caitlin? Before we got to go into a break here. You bet. Oh, you bet. Oh, no, I'm sorry, my bad. All no, good. Thank you for I, calling I, in, Caitlin Shields. Hi, I appreciate it. So uh, I wanted to touch on, we might have to come back to it because I didn't really time this out perfectly. Yeah, it happens. It's a live show. What can you do? Sanctuary cities, though. That's another place where there's, go, there's an expectation that judges. This is in San Francisco today. The city attorney, Dennis Herrera, argued that a district court, federal court, should prevent Mr. Trump from even trying to enforce his order. This is now on Sanctuary cities. This is now on immigration policy. And this city attorney in San Francisco is saying uh, that the city budget relies on federal funding and San Francisco could not develop a realistic spending plan under a cloud of uncertainty and a budgetary sword of Damocles. Well, I like the Greek mythology reference. This argument is... Uh, is garbage. Um, this is another time where they're running to a federal judge to overturn an executive decision, a decision by the president of the United States that is clearly within his authority. And they're, once again, they seem to believe in San Francisco and in other cities. Remember, they're the sanctuary cities that this is now a, a function of political life and death, meaning they, everybody in elected office in the city of New York L.A., San Francisco, a bunch of other cities. Those are the first ones that come to mind. Those are the biggest ones. If they're not pro-illegal immigrant, if they're not pro-sanctuary city, their career's over. They're done. They're out of office. So you're not going to see any budging on that issue at all. They're not going to move an inch. Uh, it's a lot of the other places that Trump will probably first exert some pressure, which are those cities that 
believe that they could get sued by the ACLU or some other group if they're not sanctuary cities, so they just go along. But they're not politically overtaken by illegal immigrant uh, partisan uh, partisanship. But this fight that is looming between the Trump administration and the sanctuary cities is going to get really heated really quickly uh, because you're going to have federal judges who are saying, well, my the city where I find my, you know, I got to come back to this. Buck Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on. Welcome back, Team Buck. We are joined by Caitlin Collins. She is the Daily Caller's White House correspondent. That's right. She is in the White House press corps hanging out with all of them getting us all the deets, all the details. Caitlin, great to have you. Did you just have a little bit of a Southern accent when you said my name? Did I? Did that just slip I, in there? I, I do declare. Said, <laughs> I, don't, I think I don't. you said Caitlin Collins. Caitlin Collins. Did I? No, I did. Accent. No way. Oh, heavens. <laughs> Caitlin, good to, good to have you on. Thank you so much. Where You went to school. Do you go to all, I don't want to guess because I guessed the wrong one. Which Southern school did you go to? I went to the University of Alabama, the only school. That's what I was just making sure. The only school in the South that anybody needs to know about. And that was the one I thought you went to, and that's the one you went to. All right, good. So uh, tell exactly. us uh, tell us about all the latest in the uh, life and times of Caitlin Collins, White House correspondent for The Daily Caller. You're there in the White House where all this craziness is going on. What's going on? Well, it is crazy as usual. Donald Trump just took the stage literally seconds ago in Nashville, Tennessee, for his campaign rally he's campaigning even though he just won the presidency you know a few months ago this is his second rally since he's been sworn in and he has a third one scheduled in kentucky next week and obviously we're expecting him to talk about health care tonight because that is the big bill that republicans are trying to push through and what are you hearing about the state the state of play between various members of the of the house the gop members of the house and the senate and and the White House, are, are they going to get on the same sheet of music here? Where there's been a lot of consternation early on about this bill. It's not good. They're definitely not on the same page. There's a lot of speculation and criticism coming from senators and Congress members. And then the White House is saying that they're behind this bill 100 percent. They're supporting Paul Ryan. But we've seen a lot of differences of opinion this week. It doesn't seem like a bill that anyone can agree on, even Republicans. They're not really happy with it. They, a lot of people don't think it's conservative enough. The moderates don't think that it has, you know, enough stipulations for Medicare and Medicaid. And it's a bill that really no one is pleased with except maybe Paul Ryan, and we're not even sure about him. Now, the big promise yeah. that's, uh, that might be happening uh, as we speak out in Michigan has to do with fuel efficiency standards from the Obama administration. What, what is the promise going to be here, or, as we are told? Yes. Yeah, so today, as Donald Trump addressed automakers, in Michigan, he promised to roll back the fuel efficiency standards that were imposed by the Obama administration through an executive order. And he also said that he would reenact the midterm review, which is basically when the administration takes a look at the fuel efficiency standards and sees that they need to be weaker if you know they're stifling the economy, which is what Donald Trump thinks. So it's good news for automakers. It's something they're very pleased to hear. That He just verbally said it today. He hasn't actually signed anything. But we'll see how that goes. There's another piece. I think it was in Politico today, by the way, about how the White House is this cryptic, uh, terrifying place 
where staffers are afraid to use social media, are, are worried their phones are bugged or being monitored, you know, their work phones. And there, there's all of this uh, cloak and dagger behind closed doors. Oh, my gosh, am I going to be the next one who's booted out stuff? Do you pick up on any? Is this? I've read so many of these pieces about the White House in disarray, a White House that's run with an iron fist, a White House where everyone's terrified. Uh, they don't seem terrified. Uh, what do you make of all that? I don't know if you saw this political piece or even know what I'm talking about, but Politico wrote yeah, something about that. Yeah. I did see it. I it mean, you're there in the White House. Is everyone afraid to talk to you? Well, it said that, you know, they were, staffers, when they go home at night, they put their work, turn their work phones off and put them in a drawer because they're worried somebody is bugging their phone. There's definitely a lot of paranoia happening in the White House right now. You don't do, really do you think that that's really happening though? Yeah. I mean, first of all, that would be that would be uh, that would be illegal. <laughs> you, you can't you can't turn on somebody's phone without their knowledge and just record them all the time. That's that's not good. Uh, I definitely don't know if it's happening. I can't say for sure, of course. But staffers don't seem that paranoid when they're inter- interacting with the press. I don't see Sean Spicer, you know, getting his phone tapped or being concerned about it. But you never know. I mean, Donald Trump, the president himself, is clearly paranoid and worried that people are tapping his phones. So that may have spread throughout his staff. I mean, that, that where there's smoke, there's fire typically. So that report could have some substance. Now, you are one of the, the new kids on the block, so to speak, in the in the West Wing. A daily caller I know is, is credentialed, and you get to sit there. I've seen you during some of the briefings. Uh, great stuff, by the way. I've seen you uh, in the West Wing, and there are some other longtime established outlets like the Associated Press and, and many others that have been speaking out about how they feel like well, they just don't like it. It's unfair. How is that atmosphere coming along? Is there any, is there a palpable resentment towards the less anti-Trump outlets in the room, or are things mellowing out and everyone kind of realizes that you know they're going to get to ask? It's a long presidency, and they're going to get plenty of time to ask questions. It's actually very interesting. It can definitely be a little tense at sometimes between reporters because these are people who were very cozy with Barack Obama and Josh Ernest, and they were very used to their access and getting a certain question on a certain day all the time. And now that Sean Spicer is in the room and he's calling on reporters, he's not always calling on the people who've been called on. And I think once people are used to that privilege and they're comfortable with it, it really makes them hurt when it gets taken away and they're being treated like everyone else. But I think it's good. I think it's good to shake up the press room. I think it's good to ask questions from a variety of reporters, not just on the right, not just on the left, but all across the spectrum. So I think that Sean Spicer is one of the aspects of his job that he's really good at is calling on multiple reporters. Now, is he getting you think he's growing into the job a bit? Is he becoming more comfortable? I saw him make a joke about moving the podium towards reporters. I think I think that's great. It seems to me that he's. Uh, but from what I can see from afar, I'm just watching it on TV and mostly clips of it now. Um, but he seems like he's loosening it up and, and doing a, a better or or at least more comfortable dealing with that room of predominantly anti-Trump journalists. Do, do you see the same thing with Spicer? And, and what about the rest of the communications team? I'm not sure if he's getting more comfortable. I think he's getting a little bit more comfortable in the room, but it is a very tense room. He has a very difficult job. I think people often underestimate how hard it is to speak for a president especially a president like Donald Trump, who very clearly has his own voice. But I do think people are getting more normalized with Sean Spicer and they're used to him and they understand his like little quirks and personality a little bit better than they did in January on day one. 
And I think he treats the press a little bit differently than I did on day one, you know, when he came out and yelled and didn't take any questions. Yeah, that wasn't good. I, I said at the time, like, that was not a good look for the administration having Spicek come out. It was, it, was, it, was, it was the biggest inauguration ever. It's like, whoa, dude, slow your roll. Calm down. Right, exactly. So I think that he's got a little bit more confident in that manner. He knows what he's talking about a little bit more, but he does dodge questions sometimes, and he does, you know, skip over a report every now and then that he's worried about what kind of question they're getting. You can get that vibe from people. That's definitely what he's been accused of. Uh, but it's interesting. It's interesting to see how it operates between the administration and the press. What do you think? The what are the next major initiatives, or what can we expect from the administration? in the next couple of days, either based on what they're telling you officially or what you're hearing from your sources? Well, we're definitely going to hear a lot over the next few days about the wiretapping investigation and this executive order. A federal judge in Hawaii froze Donald Trump's revised travel order tonight, just hours before it's supposed to take place. It's supposed to go into effect at midnight and prevent those citizens from six countries from coming into the United States for 90 days. But now that it's been frozen by a federal judge, the administration has still not responded. So Donald Trump is on stage right now. I'm watching him speak at a rally. It'll be interesting to see what their response is to that. One last one, Caitlin. I see you here on the dailycaller.com that Hillary Clinton, I thought this would be something that we didn't have to talk about again, but I was wrong. Hillary Clinton's electoral ambitions. She is considering running for mayor of, yes, my hometown where I am right now, New York City. Is it? Tell me it ain't so, or is it so? Are you going to vote for her, Buck? Oh, come on. You know me better than that. I'm I'm uh, Joe Loda, I think was his name. <laughs> I don't even remember now. Whoever the Republican. I voted for the Republican. It was me and five other guys here in New York City. But is she really going to yeah. run? I don't know. That's what a source who was at an event with her earlier this month said that she was considering it. And she was asking people what they were thinking. And we, always, we already know that she's getting briefings from her former campaign manager, on what went wrong during the election, which seems a little weird to me. I don't think you should get briefings from the guy who ran your campaign to the ground on what went wrong. I feel like you should get it from someone else who is on a, you know, alternative, you know, campaign. But Hillary Clinton does what Hillary Clinton does, and we'll see if she runs. I'll say, I'll say it right now. If Hillary Clinton runs for mayor of New York City, and some of you, you might be, you know, spitting up your coffee or you know, uh, choking on your bagel or whatever right now, wherever you are. But if she runs, she's going to win. <laughs> if she runs in New York City, I think she's going to win, which means that I, I will be living in this Clinton fiefdom known as New York City, and it will just be nauseating. But we'll have to see. Not a problem for the rest of you outside of the uh, tri-state area or outside of New York City, really. Caitlin Collins, though, is the uh, Daily Caller's White House correspondent. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining. Great to have you. Come back soon, okay? Yeah, will do. Thank you. Uh Phones open 844-900-2825 and talk more about deep state, Trump, Trump rallies, fun things, good things in a few. Stay with me. President Trump is in the zone. He's doing a live rally right now. We're going to it live in Nashville, Tennessee. Schedule in terms of where we are, it's under design and you're going to see some very good things happening, but... The border by itself right now is doing very well. It's becoming very strong. General Kelly has done a great job. General Kelly. My administration is also following through on our promise to secure, protect, and defend that border 
within our United States, our southern border will be protected always. It will have the wall. Drugs will stop pouring in and poisoning our youth. And that will happen very, very soon. You're already seeing what's going on. The drugs are pouring into our country, folks. They are poisoning our youth and plenty of others. And we're going to stop it. We're not going to be playing games. Not going to be playing games. Following my executive action, and don't forget, we've only been here for like, what, 50 days? We've already experienced an unprecedented 40% reduction. President Trump here uh, speaking about a whole bunch of things, including energy pipeline, securing the southern border, and uh, the crowd there is just uh, fired up about the whole thing. They really are. Um, I, I, I mean this not in any way disrespectfully, but I watch the president, and I do have moments, especially as a, as a New Yorker. He's really a fixture here, his name on the buildings, but also you'd read about him on page six, and uh, for my whole adult life, you know, you've been aware of Trump. I remember when he appeared in Home Alone 2. Oh, yeah, that's right. He, he's in the Plaza Hotel, which he was a uh, owner of at one point, I believe. And he appears in the Plaza Hotel and says hi to Macaulay Culkin. By the way, Home Alone 2, not nearly as good as Home Alone 1. And both of them are a little more violent than I think people really would want their kids to see. But it was kind of, in the second one, it was particularly, I mean, throwing bricks off a roof and hitting somebody in the face is not, I was amazed that people were laughing at that. Anyway, not to be that guy, but Home Alone 1, uh, really entertaining movie. Home Alone 2, not so good, but Trump was in that and. Uh, but what I was saying is I'm just uh, I see him and I just I do have still I have. Wow. He's the president moments. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean it in a wow way. It is. It is. Wow. Uh, let's get Edwin in Mississippi on the line calling in on WJDX. What's up, Edwin? Uh, hey, Buck. I want to take you back to a conversation you had with Tom Rogan on Monday. If sure. I Okay, he he had a three-letter, very derogatory term for Gertz Wilders, the Dutch politician, and I, I'm I'm not a Donald Trump. I don't use derogatory words to to, to you know to uh, define somebody. But do you remember the term that he when you, you no? Had, but I know he doesn't like Wilders, so we can just leave it at that. I I remember he 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 was very clear about that. Okay, I I want to you know. To the extent that I know about Wilders, it's in the last two years I've you know, gone online, I came across his na- name, and then I've, I've watched his speeches, his interviews. So that's you know, how most of us would know somebody from a country like that. So I just don't have that opinion. I, I beg to differ greatly. But uh, be that as it may, I... I wait, wait, can we, can we give, give us a little more than that? What, you differ, you think that Wilders is, is not a bad guy? Okay, can I can I hit you right across the with the two by four to start with? Um, I guess that sounds kind of rough, but you know, be gentle. <laughs> say figuratively, but for one thing, I want to say, look up Wilders, look at his life story too. I I just did that today, in fact, and it's like, you know, you understand a per, where a person's coming from when you see his life experience, and I I can't really go much into that because I I don't have it in hand but it, but if you look at his life there are some definite things that you know where you understand where he where he's arrived and when i was going to bring up uh 2004 you, you remember the the uh slaying of 
Theo Van Gogh on the streets of, I think it was Amsterdam. I remember it very well. Theo Van Gogh, friend of Ion Hersey Ali's, and in fact, the note that was pinned to Theo Van Gogh's chest with a knife after he was murdered in the street said that Ion Hersey Ali was next. Right, and where did she have to flee? To the, the United States, because the Dutch wimped out. They didn't want to provide her protection anymore. Her neighbors, I believe, even sued the government, saying she has to get out of here because she endangers all of us. It was a, it was a very... Uh, a very dark period for the for the Netherlands there. Uh, real cowardly stuff from the Dutch government, but, you know, they oh. just didn't want to deal with it. So she came here to America, and I believe AEI gave her safe harbor um, and and uh, arranged for her to, to stay in the country. Or, you know, she worked for them, and then she arranged to stay in the country. Right, and which brings me to, when you, when you look at Wilders, he has a six-man planes close uh, security detachment he drives you know he has to be driven in a, a, a you know a armored car and he's living in a state you know secured build uh, house or whatever uh, that's where I again I, I you know I don't I don't understand where Rogan's coming from but this guy is on the front lines and I, I think it's uh, well I, I won't I don't want to speak for Tom but I'm gonna speak for Tom for a second uh, Tom is look Tom's a very a very uh, thoughtful and and very reason very well reasoned guy, and he doesn't like that Wilders goes after not just those who are Islamists or jihadists, but goes after all of Islam as being uh, and 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 doesn't want any any Muslims coming into the Netherlands, which is the most extreme uh, anti anti Muslim immigrant position I think one one could have for obviously, uh, but I, I do also th- I mean I I'm certainly. Uh, more concerned about the political and social effects of mass immigration from disparate cultures, I think, than Tom is. But now I'm speaking too much for him. Um, I, I think that when you spend time in some of these European countries, uh, I, I've been I've been in some of these European countries. I have had interactions with their domestic intelligence services as well. And there are real concerns, not just about terrorist attacks. This is what people have to keep in mind, but also about the lack of assimilation that is occurring uh, because when you allow, when, when you refuse to uh, take some of these, yes, generally accepted ideas from within Islam head on as a society because of you fear of offense and you want to be multicultural, you allow very bad ideas not just to fester in small communities, but to then grow larger in those communities as those communities become more entrenched and have bigger populations. So that's a very real concern. And, and I, I don't dismiss it at all. I actually think that it's something that we need to keep in mind and learn from. And look, I mean, this is the, the thought experiment I run people through, Edwin, is, you know, would America be America if we allowed 100 million Chinese to come to America tomorrow? I know it's a crazy, but would we still be America? Not really, right? And that's not a that's not a knock on people from China. It's just at some point you have a dissolution of the political union of the citizens in your country. The polity ceases to be the same. So there's a number. We all know there's a number. And in a country like the Netherlands of 10 million people, Maybe that number is a million. Maybe it's two million. You know, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And then we got to go to break. But by the way, I, I looked that up. I think their population is 17 million. Oh, pardon me. Muslim. Uh, let me. Uh, can I come back after the break? No, we got to go into a break. And then I, I got a guest coming up, uh, Edwin. Otherwise, I would. But thank you very much for calling him out. We got we got to leave it there for now, actually. Um, Thank you, though, for your time. Also, I would point out that there's only one, if we're really going to talk about this, there's only one religion where if you say the wrong thing, there's only one religion in the world that I know of right now where if you say the wrong things about that religion, 
you can have a credible fear for your life, that your safety can, in fact, oftentimes be in jeopardy, and it is Islam. So that is a distinction, and it's not a good one, that one faith tradition, one major faith tradition in the world has that none of the others do. So we're just keeping it real here and being honest. Uh, We're going to talk about what's going on uh, with U.S.-Asia relations in just a minute. Stay with me. Buck Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on. A lot of news about Korea, North and South Korea lately. We are joined by Gordon Chang to break it all down for us. He's the author of of the coming collapse of China and nuclear showdown North Korea takes on the world. Gordon, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Buck. All right. Can we start with the the South Korean? I, this is less of a national security issue for us and just a news story that I wanted some uh, some clarity and some of your analysis on. South Korea has had a premier kicked out of office and maybe facing criminal charges. What happened? Yeah, President Park Geun-hye was impeached in December and does less with the Constitutional Court dismissed her. Now, this is a national security issue for us because under in 2016, under President Park and President Obama, there was no daylight. Gordon, we're going to have to have you call back. The connection, Gordon, we need you to try back. The connection is terrible. People can't hear you. So give us a ring right back, and we'll go to a call right now. we got Gordon on the line. Uh, Lynn in Arizona, you're on the Buck Sexton Show on KOY. Welcome. Hi, Buck. Hey, Lynn. Yeah, I wanted to, hi, I wanted to let, let you know that I have a big concern about the media. I was watching TV the other night, and uh, they showed a picture of what looked like uh, President Trump laying on the ground with a white shirt with blood all over him. And they, they mentioned that it was some sort of a hoax about him being uh, assassinated. And then, uh, then I saw this Snoop Dogg uh, deal going on where they showed of somebody that looked like Trump with a blindfold on, and they were going to shoot him and uh, like a terrorist. And I'm sitting there like, who? Wh- why are they doing this? It's, somebody needs to hold the media accountable for this because it's just giving people ideas. It reminds me of the days when they had the uh, hijacking of airplanes, and they said, okay, we can't have any more movies with hijackers because it's giving too many people ideas about what they can do. And I just wondered if anybody would want to talk about what the what the media is doing and who's going to hold them accountable for this. I remember when uh, I, I believe it was an MMA fighter said something about he wished Obama would get in the ring so he could, you know, kick his butt or something, something like that, which is not to any normal person a threat. I mean, I don't think Obama was about to get into a ring with an MMA fighter and it, it was in a very specific context and the guy clearly wasn't expecting that to happen, nor was he intending to threaten the president. And the Secret Service talked to him. You know, the Secret Service took that one seriously. So this uh, uh, this vi- this video of somebody in a Trump uh, looking like Trump who's being shot and the violence. Marco Rubio, I spoke out about this yesterday. There's just different sets of rules. The way the media treats uh, Republican presidents and Democrat presidents and the threats to their person are, are treated very differently. There's an enormous double standard at work. Right. I agree. I just wish we could uh, level the playing ground between the two. Yeah, it's 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 troubling, but hypocrisy is now the defining characteristic of the Democrat Party. So there you go. Thank you for calling in, Lynn. We got Gordon Chang back. Gordon, so sorry about that. We just uh, we had some comms problems, but uh, good to have you back. Thank you so much. All right. So you were saying South Korea, the premier in trouble. What happened? Yes. 
President Park Geun-hye was impeached in December of last year by an overwhelming vote in the National Assembly. And just last week, um, the Constitutional Court confirmed her dismissal. And as I mentioned, this is a national security issue for us because there was no daylight between Seoul and Washington in 2015 and 2016. But because there has to be a by-election, and right now because of President Park's unpopularity, and she was a conservative, um, we're going to get a so-called progressive. Now, the progressives want to engage North Korea. It's going to be a very different policy than under President Park. And the, the progressives are going to want to get rid of American missile defense, the terminal high-altitude area defense system that President Park agreed to base on South Korea's soil. So there are problems ahead in this alliance, especially as China and North Korea are threatening both South Korea and the United States. This is going to get ugly. I wanted to ask you about the threat from North Korea. There's an editorial in the Chicago uh, Chicago Tribune waking up to the North Korean nuclear nightmare. Uh, they're using some—I mean, they're drawing some pretty scary uh, analysis out here. They're, they're saying that— you know, this is that that North Korea's recent action shouldn't just be seen as the usual saber rattling. That it's not just a quote missile test. That that underplays the threat. That North Korea uh, might be heading into a new area in terms of uh, of the threat level here. What do you make of all that? What, what first of all, what have they done, and how seriously should we be taking this? Well, in about four years or so, they'll be able to mate a nuke to their longest range missiles. They already have three missiles that can hit the lower forty eight states. They just can't put a nuclear warhead on it. But um, probably in that four-year, five-year time frame, they will be able to develop the heat shielding and be able to perfect um, their missiles. Right now, they can mate a nuke to an intermediate-range missile. They just haven't been able to do it for the longer-range ones. The reason why this is so important to us is that right now the North Korean regime looks unstable Kim Jong-un, the ruler, may be losing his grip on power. So therefore, he probably has a dangerously low threshold of risk. Last month, there were so many instances and symptoms of instability. And so when you put the two together, the ability to nuke the United States and a leader who has very little to lose, you've got to be a little bit worried. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing from major editorial pages that they're saying even even more than a little bit worried. They think that there's something... Very, uh, very bad, perhaps, on the horizon when it comes to North Korea. Also, China, of course, whenever we talk about U.S.-North Korea policy, uh, you really can't leave China out. And you wrote in Forbes recently that China just handed Trump a really good reason to retaliate. What do they do and how should Trump retaliate? Well, China just rolled out regulations for its Made in China 2025 program. This is a program to get China at self-sufficiency or near self-sufficiency in 10 critical sectors, including computer ships, robots, planes, and a number of others. And this really means diminished opportunities for U.S. companies and other companies in China. They're closing up their market. And if they are able to dominate their market in these 10 sectors, it means they'll be able also to be fierce competitors in global markets. So if you're Boeing or Qualcomm, you face a very difficult future if China is successful on this program. And this program, by the way, looks to be violative of China's obligations under the World Trade Organization accession agreement, as well as China's bilateral deals with the United States and with other countries. And Gordon, right now we know U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson 
is uh, in the midst of a trip to Japan, South Korea, and China. What do you, if you were advising Tillerson on these meetings, uh, what would you want him to establish, and what would you want him to put forward with uh, with first? Let's take it: Japan, South Korea, and then China. Well, Japan and South Korea are really reassurance trips. Um, he needs to reassure us, both Seoul and Tokyo that whatever the United States does on North Korea, we will take into account their interests. You know, if you're a Japanese leader and you hear uh, President Trump talk about America first, the thing that might go through your mind is that the U.S. might cut a deal that would hurt Japan. And so I think that Tillerson needs to um, reassure both of those capitals that the U.S. will take into account the interests of its allies. Now, in China, which is the last stop on the trip, um, Tillerson's got to talk about North Korea, find out what the Chinese are willing to do. Plus, also, he has one other brief given to him by the White House, and that is to lay the groundwork for Chinese ruler Xi Jinping to come to the United States to Mar-a-Lago uh, beginning of April, probably April 6th and April 7th. So Tillerson is there to sort of scope out the things that are going to be important and discussed during that meeting, namely trade North Korea. And what should he tell them to do vis-a-vis North Korea specifically? This has been a problem for administrations now stretching back for many decades. It's a problem that seems to only be getting worse. China is the uh, perhaps the best leverage point we have against North Korea, and, and how should we want to use that? Well, Tillerson is not there really to give um, Beijing the U.S. position. He's there to listen. Um, but if I were Trump, what I would be telling the Chinese is that they've got to stop immediately their support for North Korea's nuclear weapons and ballistic missile programs and their involvement in North Korea's illicit commerce, because if they didn't do that, I would unplug their banks from the global financial system, um, because if nothing else, um, this is the one approach that we haven't tried. We've tried everything else. That's failed. But also, there's something more important here, Buck, and that is the United States needs to enforce its laws. These Chinese banks have been violating American money laundering rules, left, right, and center. And, you know, either Trump unplugs these banks or he needs to go to the American public and saying, I'm seeking repeal of U.S. money laundering laws because I'm afraid of the Chinese. It's as simple as that. Gordon Chang is the author of The Coming Collapse of China and Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. He's also Forbes contributor. Read his latest at Forbes.com. Gordon, always a pleasure, sir. We'll have you back soon. Thank you so much, Buck. 844-900-2825. You want to get in uh, one last say, uh, well, get in your say before we close up the show for today. Uh, please do give a call. Also, if you're listening and you have not yet done so, even if you are a live listener, if you prefer to listen live, whatever your local station is, and we thank all of our affiliates across the country, uh, but download Buck Sexton with America Now. iTunes allows you to subscribe, so you can go on iTunes Type Buck Sexton with America Now, and you can click subscribe. Also on the iHeartRadio app, if you do not have a local station where you can listen, you can always listen. As long as you've got cell phone or Wi-Fi connection, you're good to go. Uh, and with that, Team Buck, I will be right back. The deep state talked about a lot these days. We should be careful in our usage of the term. Not that it's not useful for our discussions about what's happening with National security leaks meant to undermine the Trump administration, uh, but we should try to keep some separation in our heads between the permanent unelected branch of government, the bureaucracy, and its 
politi- uh, political proclivities, the overall political direction of many people working in the bureaucracy, and those who work within the national security uh, complex, work within the military, and perhaps have uh, connections into major corporations and, and other centers of power who are working to speci- to subvert democracy. I'm not saying... These are two different, they're somewhat related, but different things. Think of the, the deep state is a more uh, more pernicious and uh, problematic and even illegal and anti-democratic uh, situation, whereas the permanent bureaucracy, while annoying to us and um, something that must be addressed because so many of the federal agencies, in particular the regulatory agencies, have progressives in their ranks and also running them, at least until this presidency, that we have to keep an eye on that. But there is an important separation, I think, to keep in mind there. And I remember that the deep state coming from, uh, first referred to really in the Turkish context, the Darin Devlet. Darin Devlet is what it is in Turkish. Uh, that's where you get this concept. People also refer to it as a state within a state. Uh, but those are both problems that we are dealing with in this country. The deep state is a much smaller. I think the the only real deep state actors that we've seen so far are a handful of probably former White House officials on the Obama administration, maybe with some friends in DOJ and the intelligence community uh, colluding with them. But it's very small. So that's not really a deep state in the sense that they aren't going to overthrow the democratically elected government by force. But by propaganda, they may try to undermine and destroy it. And that's what we've seen. So the Turkish deep states, they actually come in and say, sorry, we don't care who you elected or what what the what the votes say. This is the way it's going to be. Um, so that's a much more extreme thing. The permanent bureaucracy that's larger and it's easier to just get lulled into a sense of it's not a big deal. Um, but we have to address that as well, because it is affecting our liberties. You have a regulatory you, you have these regulatory agencies that are part of this hyper regulatory state that are creating their own laws without any public oversight. Um, And then you get into the debates that are happening right now, or the discussions right now, between, for example, uh, Fox, uh, Fox's Stuart Varney and Corey Lewandowski on the deep state and the NBC jihad. Whoa, taking it to 11 here. Play it. What do you make of that NBC jihad against uh, what your candidate, Donald Trump? What do you make of it? You know, it's amazing. All of a sudden, Rachel Maddow goes on and says that she's got the president's tax returns from 2005. You've got all these people saying that in that year, you know, he sold a piece of property to some Russian and it was all a long-term plan that 11 years later he'd have ran and won the presidency of the United States. This is the exact same group of pundits who said that Donald Trump would never run for office, that he was never a real candidate, and all of a sudden now they're giving him credit for selling a piece of property from 11 years ago. Here's what it comes down to. Anybody who released the president's taxes or a summary of his tax return have committed a felony. Now, we've seen Dean Baguette from the New York Times say in the past that he's willing to go to jail to publish the president's tax returns. I guess here's what we know, Stuart. He's paid 25% effective tax rate. He paid $38 million in 2005 on $153 million in income. He's really, really, really rich. I don't think this is a shock to anybody. Yeah. NBC Jihad, though. That, that's a, I hadn't heard that, that one before. That's a new one. So you've got to worry about uh, how, whether the deep state helped the NBC Jihad against Trump. I'm just wanting to say that it's while it's fun to use these terms, it's, it's interesting and it certainly gets attention to headlines. We just want to use them appropriately and accurately and understand that when you say deep state, 
uh, the deep state that most often comes to mind, although it exists in different places around the world, in the Turkish context, it, it is an actual threat to the elected government, meaning that there, and it is real, it's not a conspiracy theory, that the elected government in the past has started to do things or move in a direction, and the Turkish state, there'll be a coup, and they'll say, well, you are no longer in power, we are in power. So, you know, there, there's different degrees of deep states, what I'm trying to say, and there's different levels of concern that it should, uh, that, that it should arise, uh, that should arise from it. But in our, what we've seen is a combination of two things, and I actually think that while the headlines right now make you think that the leaks against Trump, the national security leaks, are the bigger problem. The harder thing to, tack- the t- t- to tackle is going to be the fourth branch of government, right? We've got the elected legislature, we've got judiciary, we've got the executive branch, the president, and then there's this other branch, which is really technically under the executive branch, but it acts independently, it creates its own laws, and that is the Permanent bureaucracy, the uh, unelected branch of government, the people will call it the federal leviathan, lots of colorful and interesting names we can come up with for it. Some others will call it the civil service, but often feels like they're not particularly civil and they're serving themselves more than anybody else. Uh, That's where we're going to see a lot of clashes with the Trump administration, as well as in the judiciary, as we already have. Tomorrow, I'm going to read in full the uh, Hawaii judge, uh, the uh, judge from Hawaii's decision on the executive order, so I can give you a total breakdown on it. I'm pretty sure it is what I th- said it was going to be from the beginning, which is Trump is a racist. Therefore, any order that deals even uh, as a result of how it's implemented, not the language, any result, any order that deals with for non-U.S. citizen Muslims is rooted in racism, therefore it's not allowed. Which is more or less what the federal judge here has said, but I'll look at that one more closely. I also want to dig into the battle over sanctuary cities. Uh, maybe we'll be joined by one of my expert friends on immigration to give us some of the details on that. Uh, this is one of these shows where I feel like I'm finishing up here with you, but I already have today's show in mind, which is exciting, which means tomorrow's show we're going to have a lot to talk about here in the Freedom Hut. If you're listening and you haven't already, please go to facebook.com slash bucksexton, click uh, follow or like, and that way you'll be in touch with all members of Team Buck, and I'll be on there throughout the day tomorrow and uh, checking in, talking to people and everything else. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. As Oh, yeah, and also on Twitter, at bucksexton, those of you listening. Uh, I tweet throughout the show and uh, throughout the day as well. Until tomorrow, my friends, have a fantastic rest of your day or evening, and, of course, Shields High.